Why is seminary so expensive? At Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, we are committed to the reform of theological education toward meeting the needs of churches across the globe. Men of God cannot serve their churches well if they are burdened with tens of thousands of dollars in student loans from seminary. At CBTS, you can receive a robust theological education for nearly four times less than other institutions. To find out more about how you can receive an accredited theological degree at a cost that you can afford, visit cbtseminary.org. You are listening to Particular Pilgrims, Stories from Reformed Baptist History with Commentary. I'm your host, Ron Miller, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church of Clarksville, Tennessee, and a longtime student and collector of Particular Baptist History. We're on the Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. Today's episode is an updated version of one I first presented many months ago on the topic of the age of baptism among 17th century particular Baptists. I've had several people ask the question, at what age did the early particular Baptists immerse believers? Back then, did a person have to be a certain age to qualify for baptism? I'm thankful for this question for several reasons. First, it's one I've wondered about and studied for years. Second, The answer from history is quite different from much of the modern practice of believers' baptism, and that means that there is almost certainly benefit to be gained in reflecting on the reasons behind this difference, regardless of where one ends up in practice. So in this episode, I want to share with you my conclusion and show you the general lines of evidence from the 17th century that support it. Remember, I'm not trying to defend from Scripture a certain point of view. Rather, I'm attempting to display the doctrinal and practical positions for the age of baptism among particular Baptists in the 1600s. Of course, they believed these positions were scriptural, and so in studying them, we may also be challenged to test our views. I've read many writings on baptism by particular Baptists from the 1640s to the mid-1800s. When I began studying years ago, one thing immediately struck me. That was that the difference between the Anglican or Presbyterian position and the Baptist position was usually framed in terms of infant baptism versus adult baptism. That is the common phraseology used for several centuries. This language always puzzled me. Why? Because it implied that you could either be baptized as an infant or as a full adult. Were those really the only options? Didn't they know about children or teenagers? Yes, they did, and even used those words as we do. Well, perhaps these terms were merely a case of imprecise labeling, but I don't think that's a defensible explanation either, as I'll state a bit later. Now, of course, when Baptists described those qualified for baptism in general terms, they used the language of belief or faith and repentance or credible 
profession. This was because one of their greatest differences with paedobaptism was that the infant couldn't make a plausible confession. There wasn't a way to know if, quote, faith appears, as John Spilsbury said. Infants could not testify to what he described elsewhere as visible faith, and faith, quote, as it may be discerned and judged by the word of God. Spilsbury denied that, quote, infants devoid of visible faith should have a visible right to the privileges of grace. Notice he wasn't denying the possibility that an infant could have faith. Rather, he was saying that the scriptural requirement was a visible faith, a credible belief, a profession backed up by life, and yet the standard labels of the two positions were infant and adult. So did the 17th century particular Baptists really only baptize adults? As best as I can determine, the usual answer is yes. Congregations of the baptized way normally immersed adults only. This is also the conclusion reached by the renowned English historian of the 17th century, Christopher Hill. In his book, The World Turned Upside Down, he says this on page 70. The Baptist principle of adult baptism meant that each individual must choose or be chosen by a congregation after he was grown up. So I'll begin by explaining the sense of the word adult in this context in the 17th century. And then I'll give a number of statements and a few historical examples that illustrate the practice of adult baptism, followed by some of the reasons for their practice. First, why were they using the language of infant and adult? The reason is that these were the categories in English law for legal capacity. Infant was the legal word for a minor, and adult was the legal word for someone who had reached the age of majority. So an adult could legally bind themselves in a contract, for example. An infant could not. An infant was anyone of non-age, while adults were men of years. Non-age was being underage, immature, the age of youth, that is, legal infancy, per the Oxford English Dictionary. Men of years were of full or mature age, and they were contrasted with children. In the 1600s, a child became an adult at 16 or 18 years or 21, depending on various circumstances such as the capacity in view and their sex. A person who had become an adult could make a contract or marry. An adult man could join the army at 16, as John Bunyan did. Under the Conventicle Act of 1664, those aged 16 and above could be prosecuted for attending religious meetings other than those of the Church of England. Sixteen was also probably the common age for confirmation in the Church of England in order to receive full church membership with the right to Holy Communion. Below these ages, a person was a child or infant legally. 
at or above that age, they were legally adults and had the right of self-determination. So when we read the words infant and adult in these baptism contexts, it refers not so much to length of life, but to legal status. When John Spilsbury writes of, quote, infants in reference to their non-age, he clearly is speaking in legal terms, not length of life. He later contrasts men of years with infants, using as an example the Israelite children up to the age of 20 who were not punished with their parents after being baptized into Moses. He was using language like Moses in Deuteronomy 1 when their offspring aged 0 to 19 were called little ones and children. Also, when Spilsbury writes, quote, the Church of the New Testament never admitted any infants as members in her body, he is referring to a class of people roughly aged 0 to 16, not just newborns. In another place, he says, faith was to be required of them being of years. Of years is legal adulthood. Hercules Collins in the Orthodox Catechism, question 73, contrasts infancy with years of maturity, which is not childhood or teen years, but adulthood. He says, quote, when they come to years of maturity, they, by true faith, love, and holiness of life, taking hold of God's covenant of grace, shall have the privileges of it. This is a statement that adult believers are qualified for baptism. Andrew Ryder, who authored the first particular Baptist book against pedo-baptism, entitled it, quote, A Treatise on the Vanity of Childish Baptism and contrasted infant and children's baptism with the baptism of, quote, men of years. So the language supports the view that only adults were baptized. But what do we know of the actual practice of baptism in regard to age? First, I'm not aware of examples of non-adult baptism in the particular Baptist churches in the 1600s, with just two exceptions, which I'll discuss in a moment. But in reading the Broadmead Records, the Petty France Church Minutes, and other materials, there are no obvious cases of underage baptism. It's true that we are rarely told the ages of the people baptized, but in the cases with a determinable age, they are at least 16 or older. That is, they are adult baptisms. For example, Andrew Gifford Sr. was converted at 16 and baptized at 17. Years later, when he baptized his daughter Martha, she was aged 16. We recently studied William Kiffin's response to Robert Poole, who was concerned about his daughter Elizabeth having joined the Baptist Church. You may recall Kiffin said that they didn't receive any as a member, but those who had been members of the state church for at least 16 20 or 30 years. In other words, only adults were baptized and accepted into membership. The minimum age, and likely Elizabeth's age when she was immersed and became a member, was 16. Kiffin, in another place, talks of the conversion of the child of a baptized person, quote, of sufficient age. 
So while the cases of baptism with a known age are few, the ones we have are adult. What about those two exceptions? Well, these both come from Dr. Jim Renahan's study of the practical ecclesiology of the early particular Baptist entitled Edification and Beauty. The first is the baptism of Thomas Harrison at age 12. His father had been pastor of the church, and the family was both wealthy and educated. Thomas became a pastor in the Petty France Church at age 22, and so may well have been an exceptional child. But according to a sermon preached upon his early death, nonetheless, it does appear that he was baptized and joined in membership to the church at age 12. The other example is from Benjamin Keach in a book called A Counter-Antidote, in which he argued against infant baptism. But he does also, quote, grant those little children who do believe in Christ have an indubitable right to baptism and the Lord's Supper also as soon as they are baptized, but not infants. I think we may assume that Keach then practiced according to his convictions, meaning that I don't believe he had them wait until adulthood, but baptized them as little children. But it's also true that we have no documented examples, to my knowledge, of this. This shows that, as in every area of church practice among Baptists in the 1600s, that there was not an absolute uniformity. But I also don't conclude that these baptisms of underage children were the rule, since they do seem to be a minority of teaching and practice. The pun was unintended. Why did the churches practice this way of adult baptism? In very short summary, it's rooted in their understanding of part of what baptism was and did. First, baptism was a pledge toward God. It involved the making of a covenant with God. As in our society, these men recognized that a legal infant couldn't make a proper vow to men let alone God. So Kiffin could say that infant baptism was as much a nullity as the marriage of infants. The idea seems to be that if children weren't considered competent to make marriage vows, why would greater vows to Christ be considered valid? He puts it this way, consent must be expressed, but the child lacks the ripeness and formation of organs inward and outward for such expressions. Consent, proper consent, was an adult practice. The other main reason is rooted in one of the things baptism accomplished, which was to join a person to a local church. Baptism that did not lead to church membership was unknown. Joining was by covenant or consent, and so again, it was a legal and therefore adult action. They probably agreed with the general Baptist, John Denny, or Den, who said that God had communion with some, such as children, that the church ought not to have communion with. For these men, baptism was more than a simple personal testimony of faith, although it was that. It also united by covenant a man with God and the church, and so was properly done only by adults. The best sources to read on this are the books about baptism produced by these men. I highly recommend even the earliest publications, such as Andrew Reiter's two booklets, 
John Spilsbury's works, and William Kiffin's wonderful book, A Sober Discourse of Right to Church Communion. These contain a much richer and more biblically robust doctrine of baptism than most Baptists hold today, and they show that the meaning of baptism should define its subjects and practice. Thank you for listening today. This is Ron the Baptist wishing you grace and peace. Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You are listening to the Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary.